Hope you're all doing well. Tonight's reading comes from the book of Acts, chapter 14, verses 8 to 21. Just starting at verse 8. In this chair there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. He has not let himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in the seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back to the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in the city and won a large number of disciples. They then returned to Lycera, Iconium, and Antioch. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. Trust you're doing well. We're in the book of Acts, so if you've got a Bible, and it'd be really good if you have a Bible nearby you, turn to Acts chapter 14, the reading that we've just had. We're following Paul and his friend Barnabas as they travel, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. That message of the gospel, which we heard outlined last week as Paul preached, how does that impact the world as Paul brings the gospel to the ends of the earth? Is it favorable? Is it received readily? When people who do not believe in Jesus do not believe that there's one God who have many differing views about God how do people, when they hear this message for the first time, respond? Well, there are a number of different instances in Acts chapter 14 that outline, that outline just exactly how the response to the news of Jesus Christ goes. We're going to look at one of them as Paul and Barnabas are in a place called Lystra. Let's pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would bow before your most holy word. We pray that we may not be those who think of themselves above your word, but who would submit and live under your word. And so we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you may not think it, but there are actually some dangers with being a minister, with being a preacher. You may not think it. It's actually a bit of a dangerous job. Sometimes there can be just too many people crowding into a building to hear you, to get your autograph, to kind of fawn over you. Sometimes it's a bit dangerous in that regard. Sometimes it's a bit flattering and all the adulation can go to your head. Sometimes, of course, the rejection can feel a bit painful. But I have to say that in all the years that I've been doing this kind of thing, I've never ever been treated like a god. Some might say I've got the body of a god, but I've never been treated like a god. That is what happens to these preachers as they bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
Now, is that a positive thing? Is that something that flatters the ego of both Paul and Barnabas? Is that something that they want to happen more and more and more? Well, absolutely not. In fact, the treatment by the Lystrans of Paul and Barnabas as gods indicated that they didn't have the first clue as to who Jesus is, in fact, as to what the truth is about the true and the living God. So those are some of the dangers associated with my job. Let's have a look to see how Paul and Barnabas dealt with that wrong reaction. Let's have a look. Verse 8 of chapter 14. In Lystra there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet! At that the man jumped up, and began to walk. This was an incredible moment. Of course, miracles always draw attention. Miracles will always be the talk of the town. And in this case, it was no different. It aroused suspicion. In fact, it probably aroused more than suspicion. It aroused interest, significant interest from all different types of people. This was a mark of the truthfulness of Paul and Barnabas' message. We read about Jesus performing miracles. We read about Peter earlier on in the Acts of the Apostles. We read of Paul, each of them performing miracles, authenticating the truth of the message. It is true, the miracles say, it is true that the claim that Jesus is the Messiah and the true and the living God, it is true the miracles declare the miracles proclaim. Could you imagine it? That's the kind of response that you want. You want some kind of miracle. You want some kind of success story like that that will grab the attention. And isn't that a brilliant strategy? Isn't that the way to grow a church, to do a miracle, to do a healing, to do a raising from the dead, to to regrow broken arms and hands? Isn't that the kind of thing that would grab attention, the kind of success? Working around here among students, the kind of miracle that seems to be the one that's always on request is, could you turn this water into wine? But how does that work in real life here at Acts chapter 14? How would that strategy go? The strategy of the miraculous, how does it go? Well, if you have a look, this man who is crippled in his feet, who is lame from birth. This is quite the miracle because, as you have a look there, the crippling was so deep and so historical with this man, it went straight back to his birth. All of his childhood, his teenhood, his early adulthood, we have no idea exactly what he was, but he was described as an adult here, so he knew nothing except this disability. He was unable to walk. He'd never run on the beach. He'd never kicked a ball. He had never, without ever anyone's help, been able to move from one place to another. He was utterly dependent. It must have been exhausting. It must have been catastrophic for him, particularly in the first century. Crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. And you see the drama You can hear, as Luke tells us this story, you can hear the story building and building and building. Verse 9, this man listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and 
If you're an atheist at this moment, what would you say the rest of the sentence ought to be? He remained paralyzed, crippled, because the miracles and the miraculous don't happen. There's nothing beyond this closed universe. There's nothing out there. There's no power. Just material things. But the remarkable thing is, as you read on, Paul looked directly at him, verse 9, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. I don't know what you think of the miraculous in the Bible. Our post-enlightenment, 21st century world kind of laughs it off. Maybe you do as well. But right throughout the Bible, the mark of God's activity, the mark of authenticity around what is claimed and what is done is through the miraculous. Burning bushes in the Old Testament, parting of the Red Sea in the Old Testament, a, a leper, Naaman, being healed and cleansed in a river, the birth of God as a baby, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the healings in Jesus's ministry in the Gospels recorded. Luke records a lot of them. He's a doctor, by the way. And then we get into Luke's second volume, and here we have a number of miracles as Peter and Paul, their message and their mission is authenticated. What they're claiming, God says, is true. And look at what's to be done. Paul looks directly at this man, stand up on your feet. And this miraculous event proves, authenticates the message. Now, you would think that that would be the way to go. You're trying to establish a church. You're trying to establish a mission. You're, you're going around the world, the known world. It's difficult. It's hard. What's the way to get people in? What's the key to success? When will people understand? Well, obviously, when a miracle takes place. But is that the case here? Well, it's not. The miraculous event is followed by a case of mistaken identity. Verse 11. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. How is the gospel received? The message which just a few words earlier in Luke's gospel is outlined for us, the reader. How is it received? Is it warmly embraced? Is it quickly and easily understood? Even the miracles themselves, you would think, would produce the right result. Well, what happens? A fundamental case of mistaken identity, a fundamental case of misunderstanding. Paul and Barnabas are treated by the pagans in Lystra as they themselves being gods. Paul and Barnabas worshipped as gods. And of course, it would elicit that kind of response from those who are pagans, wouldn't it? who know or at least sense that there's something beyond them. They're not atheists. They are pagans, though. 
there's something out there. There's something that needs appeased. There's something that needs to be understood or at least worshipped. So what do they do? Well, they're Greeks. And the worship system is perhaps slightly foreign to us here. How did they worship? What did they worship? Well, they worshipped multiple gods, Greek gods. They had different gods who had different departments. They had Zeus, who's the chief god, and Zeus's spokesman was Hermes. This is why they said Paul and Barnabas. Paul was the preacher, and Barnabas was the one who accompanied Paul. There was a god for fertility. There was a god for the crops. There was a god for relationships. There was a god for every particular part of one's life. And if something was going wrong in one's life, particular part of one's life, well, you'd have to do a sacrifice you'd have to appease that God. You'd have to somehow get on the right side of that God. Their lives, the Athenians' lives, the Lystrans' lives, they lived in fear. Their religious life was one of fear. Their religious system was one of appeasing the gods, keeping on the right side of the gods. You see, whenever man is left to his own devices— he will create anything to worship. He will create any kind of system. He'll create any kind of idol. He'll create anything other than the true and the living God to worship. Now, we may say to ourselves from the comfort of our 21st century sophistication, oh, what poor and impoverished first century pagans. I mean, how could they be so silly? How could they be so stupid? I mean, of course it's not like this. Of course, we might think that. However, perhaps we may fall into their trap. We worship gods. John Calvin says that the mind is a factory of idols. We create idols and then worship them. We live in fear of them. So we live in fear of the god popularity. We live in fear of the god fitness. We live in fear of the God, how do I look? We worship at their temples, the supermarket, the gym. We fear those gods. They have a grip on our lives. We may think of ourselves as much further on than these Lystrans, first-century pagans, but are we really? The mind is a factory of idols. We create idols and we worship and fear them. That was their life in the first century. So when the gospel comes and confronts this, it exposes it and exposes its craziness. This is where the true and the living God and the message of the true and the living God confronts the pagan world, the world bound up in idols, the world confused by idols, confused in fear, confused in confusion. This is where the truth and the message of the true and the living God, as it meets the pagan world. And what happens? Well, the Lyconians, well, the Lystrans who spoke Lyconian, which was the the language of the commoner, the language of the educated person, the language of the culture person, was Greek. The language here was Lyconian, the commoner language, the popular language. 
This was a town, a harbour town, where those who had served in the military would have come and settled in retirement once they'd finished their service. They were white collar, probably light in that town, dominated by the blue collar worker who spoke this commoner's language. And they shouted out in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. They imagined that because there was a miracle, that here is the God. In one case, Zeus, the chief God, Hermes, the speaker. In fact, the religious system in Lystra got involved. You see there, verse 13, the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. They took this so seriously. They thought, here is God in the flesh. But actually, the message that Paul and Barnabas were bringing to the ends of the earth was that God, the true and the living God, did come in the flesh. But what you imagine, what you imagine to be happening is not true. In fact, your entire religious system, as we find out in just a second, is entirely wrong. That's quite a confronting message, isn't it? That's a kind of brave thing to say. You're not just mistaken, you're entirely wrong. Have a look. Verse 14. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed into the crowd shouting, men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We're bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. How do Paul and Barnabas react? Look at their courage. They performed this miraculous event. The paralyzed man from birth, the crippled man from birth, was healed. Incredible. However, the mistaken identity elicited in Paul and Barnabas a sharp message of turn. You're clueless, Paul and Barnabas say. You have no idea, Paul and Barnabas say. Your reaction, Lystrans, demonstrate your ignorance about the truth. That's sharp, isn't it? That's pretty blunt, isn't it? There's kind of no weasel word saying, yes, 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 of course, it's really, really good that you're sincere and devoted. There's no room for that. Paul and Barnabas slam them down with the strongest language possible. Why are you doing this? We're only men. We're just like you. We're created. We're not the creator. We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things. They've essentially rubbished the tradition and the religious system of the Lystrans. They've rubbished it. They've torn it apart. They've denied it. No weasel words. No kind of moment of accommodation. They have gone from one place to another, from one culture to another, with a completely foreign message, as foreigners. And they're telling those who are in Lystra, you're wrong. 
Now, what about today? How do we go about mission? What are we to expect when the message of Jesus Christ, that message outlined in chapter 13, when we bring that message to a world which doesn't have a clue about the truth? We might feel arrogant. We might feel superior. People may say that about us when we say, no, no, there aren't many ways to God, or there aren't many truths about God, or there aren't many gods. You see, the truth is, when the gospel is heard for the first time, it immediately confronts the religious presuppositions, the religious ideas of those who are hearing it. And when you sharply apply it, it means saying things like, no, you're actually fundamentally wrong. Not just slightly wrong, maybe wrong on the margins. No, no, you're fundamentally wrong. Your idea about God is not true, and it's not even close to the truth. Do you say it arrogantly? Well, no. You say it humbly. You say it respectfully. But do you say it clearly and sharply so that it's completely and fully and utterly understood? Well, you've got to. If you're not, then you're not engaged in the mission of Jesus Christ. You see how far and how deep Paul speaks to them. Why are you doing this? We're only human like you. You've got it entirely wrong. We're, turning, we're, we're telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. Turn away from them. Set them aside. They're worthless. That's sharp, isn't it? Now, today, when we speak about Jesus, we live in a world that's got many different religious opinions. We live in a world, of course, that rejects even the basic notion of truth, that there is true truth, something that's true for everyone at every time in every place. We live in that kind of world, don't we? That kind of idea, that kind of concept is rejected. But yet God in Jesus comes and shatters anyone else's pretension or attempt at defining the divine. Jesus Christ is the truth. And he's the way, the truth, and the life. You know, there's that Bible verse in John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I guess most people who are religious or not even that interested would say, yeah, that's a nice thing for Jesus to say. I mean, he was a kind guy. Jesus was a kind guy, an interesting guy. The story is quite interesting. He became a victim. We do like victims and victimhood in our culture today. That's all very interesting. And he had an interesting perspective and turn the other cheek and forgive people 70 times seven and so on and so forth. It's okay for him to say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But the whole of John chapter 14, verse six is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, are you going to be a 50% of that verse believer? A 50% of that verse sharer? Or are you in your work of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ going to give both bits, the positive and the negative? The positive is only understood through the negative. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me. Are you willing to say both things? You see, where the gospel impacts society is where this particular truth is completely understood. There is only one way, only one expression. And that's what Paul and Barnabas are saying to these pagans in Lystra, who've just witnessed this incredible miracle. Paul and Barnabas are saying, turn from this rubbish, this rubbish way of believing these worthless things, and turn instead to the true and the living God. Are you up for that challenge as you think about yourself, as you live in 21st century Belfast or Portadown or wherever it is you live and wherever it is you're tuning into, are you up for that challenge? If you're going to be engaged in mission, sharing the gospel evangelism, that's the kind of challenge you need to be up for. Are you ready for it? What will the reaction be? What do you expect as the gospel travels from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth? How will it go down amongst those who hear it? How did it go down whenever Paul sharply applied the gospel to the Lystrans? How did it go down? Were they embraced? Well, no. Have a look. Verse 18. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Even though they heard the message, Clearly, even though they had seen the miracle, which authenticated the message. What was the response? Was it one of understanding? Was it one of embrace and acceptance? Well, no. Verse 18, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. The old pagan ways were still there in the hearts and minds of the Lystrans. You see, whenever we engage in the work of the gospel and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, what is the reaction? Well, some of the reaction will be precisely this. People will hear the words, but they'll not be changed. People will hear the words, yet they'll just continue as if they'd never heard the words. Are you ready for that response? And then are you ready for this other response? You know, come and be a missionary, Paul. It'll be fun, they said. Well, what happens? Verse 19. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. Opposition <clears throat> from the pagans of Lystra. Opposition from the Jews of Antioch and Iconium. Remember, Paul and Barnabas were sent from the church in Iconium. So I, I assume that there was some interest in the activity of Paul and Barnabas, some interest from those Jews who were in Antioch. So message and the word of them obviously had gotten to these Jews and they spoke against Paul and Barnabas. And you see what's happening. The book of Acts mirrors the gospel of Luke, mirrors the life of Jesus. You see what happens. So Jesus... Around Jesus, miracles happen. Around Paul, 
miracles happen. When Jesus is being crucified, who's there? The Jews are there and the pagans are there. When Paul is being opposed, Paul and Barnabas are being opposed, who's there? The Jews and the crowd comprising the pagans. Jews and pagans together. Do you see almost the mirror image of the Gospel of Luke in the story of Paul as he brings the Gospel, as he speaks of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth? And then they stone Paul. They, notice that, both of them together, stoning Paul, both Romans and Jews, killing Jesus, the site of crucifixion. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. This was no light beating. This was a significant punch-up. Paul, the apostle, the one appointed by Jesus to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth, the one sent out by Jesus, as we read in Acts chapter 13, where Paul and Barnabas have been hands laid upon them as God, by his Holy Spirit, speaks to the church in Antioch and said, send them out. Here is what happens. Are you ready for rejection? Your message to be rejected? Are you ready for suffering for the sake of the gospel? You see, the gospel is true, but it's rejected. Those who bring the gospel, whilst they may be speaking truth, clearly, sharply applying it, they also will be rejected. And you notice very carefully, Luke says, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. The bringing of Paul outside the city in death. Who does that remind you of? It's Jesus Christ, isn't it? Was Jesus crucified within the city of Jerusalem? No, no, outside the city of Jerusalem. His stone-cold, lifeless body outside the city of Jerusalem. Do you see the mirror image here between Luke, gospel, and Paul in Acts as Luke tells the story? You see the connections? Paul was dragged outside the city. The miraculous event led to a case of mistaken, seriously mistaken identity. And Paul and Barnabas preach a message of turn. What is the reaction? Is it one of acceptance? Well, no. What is the reaction? Well, it's the one of confusion and continuing ignorance and then rejection and an attempt to kill. Would that put you off? Will that put you off? When someone says no, when you say Jesus Christ is the only way to God, when someone says no to you, you can't believe that anymore. What are you going to do? Are you kind of going to smile and go quiet? Dip your head? Close your eyes? Close your mouth? Change the subject because it's too uncomfortable and potentially life-threatening, freedom-removing? What are you going to do? You see, we've got to realize that as the gospel goes out, opposition and suffering and persecution will increase and increase, and increase. But Paul has been there before us, as Jesus was there before us. 
Paul speaks in Philippians of wanting to know the power of the resurrection, but only after he shares in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. I wonder when Paul wrote those words from prison in Philippians chapter 3, I wonder when he wrote those words, was he thinking of an instance like this? Actually, when you flick over in chapter 14 and then into 15 and 16 and 17, it's just story after story of rejection and suffering and persecution. But the gospel goes on. And you can see that from the very last verse in chapter 14. Sorry, the very last verse in our bit, verse 20 of chapter 14. After the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. How courageous are you? Many people dismiss Christianity as being simply for wimps. Maybe there are some wimpish Christians, but certainly Paul wasn't one of them. What does he do? He goes right back into the place in which he was beaten up. Goes straight back in. After the disciples had gathered around him, there may be an implication here that they prayed for him or it was simply a matter of lifting him up and encouraging him back into the fight. You see the depth of rejection. So much so, Paul was beaten up, left for dead. The disciples gathered around him, and where did he go? Well, if it was me, or maybe you, you'd go in the opposite direction. Where was the danger? Well, if the danger's there, I'm certainly not going to go that direction. I'm going to go that way. Absolutely. There's no way that I'd go back and face that danger again. But look at the apostles' courage. Look at the apostles' determination. His commission was preach the gospel, bring it to the ends of the earth. The risen Lord Jesus gave him that commission. So what does he do? He goes back that way into the city of Lystra and preaches the gospel again. The next day, we read here, verse 20, he and Barnabas left for Derby to do it all again. More preaching, more miracles, more rejection, more suffering. If you're wondering how the good news of Jesus and the resurrection travels from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth, it's like this. The gospel is preached. Some people receive it. Others reject it. Reject both the message and the messenger. Are you ready for this? Are you ready to engage in this mission? Are you convinced that Jesus Christ is Lord? That there's no other way, there's no way outside of Jesus to get to heaven? That Jesus is the one who speaks of God? Jesus is the one who is God, the true and the living God. Are you convinced of that? Well, then you've got to say it. Are you convinced that he's the only Savior, the only one who died for our sins instead of us and for us to bring us to heaven? Are you convinced of that? Well, you've got to speak it and not let anything put us off. Rejection, suffering, persecution, even being left for dead. Are you ready for that? Because that's the work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. We praise you for the mission in which we're all engaged. We pray that you would give us courage, that you would strengthen our confidence in the gospel, 
that we would be prepared to put up with anything for the sake of the gospel. We were prepared to go to the ends of the earth for the sake of the gospel. We praise you for these words about Paul. We praise you, Heavenly Father, that the gospel has reached us. In Jesus' name, amen.